news and issues. I'm your host, Chris Gast, RLM's Director of Communication and Education. Happy Friday, everybody. Today we're going to talk more about the Supreme Court, uh, more about uh, Justice Gorsuch's, or excuse me, Judge Gorsuch's nomination to the court, uh, the process, and both uh, what we know about Judge Gorsuch. First, I'd like to start off talking about a story I saw just this morning. The headline in the National Right to Life News Today blog is, France makes it official. Fines and prison sentences for pro-lifers who practice free speech online. Uh, This legislation was originally floated in December, and now it's been formalized. So if you are a pro-lifer in France, uh, doing something online, for example, this LifeBeat podcast, uh, if you are trying to dissuade a woman from terminating a pregnancy by using a misleading claim on abortion, you could be imprisoned for up to two years or fined up to $37,000 in U.S. dollars. This law uh, is for any online website uh, and communication. And um, by misleading, basically, they mean anything that emphasizes the negative psychological or physical impacts of abortion. So if you are a post-abortive woman and you have experienced some sort of physical or psychological impact from your abortion and you want to tell people please don't have an abortion you could be jailed for two years in France. It's stories like this that make you very glad that we live in America and we have a First Amendment. It says that Congress can make no law, no law abridging our freedom of speech. France does not have a First Amendment. And now pro-lifers don't even have a right to be pro-life. In recent news, France's their politics have kind of undergone a bit of a upheaval, especially over immigration issues. Pro-lifers have been energized lately. Uh, they just held a march a few weeks ago, um, but now they're facing a situation where they could be jailed for the crime of believing that the unborn child is a member of the human family. Also, uh, in the last uh, few weeks, in November actually, uh, France's one of France's uh, higher courts ruled uh, upheld a uh, broadcasting rule that said that children with Down syndrome cannot be portrayed as happy in TV advertisements. Let me say that again: in France, it's illegal to show a Down syndrome child as smiling on a commercial because, as the court ruled, it would be likely to disturb women who have had recourse to a medical termination of pregnancy and thus is inappropriate for airing during commercial breaks. They define the commercial showing a happy special needs child as not a message of general interest. So in other words, in France, it's a hate crime to show a Down syndrome child as enjoying their life. France is obviously nuts. There's no other way to put it. And obviously freedom of speech... It's not something that they value over there. That's why we should always be thankful. Uh, we should always, too, recognize that the our current climate of political correctness will always go there as the end game, criminalizing thoughts, even when that thought is truly an inclusive thought that the unborn child 
a child with Down syndrome has as much value as any other child. And, and believing that becomes a crime in a country where political correctness controls uh, the media and the public square. Uh, in news, uh, in the last couple, last two weeks, uh, we had another vote from the U.S. House. This was just yesterday. Uh, the House voted on House Joint Resolution 43, and what this would do is it would rescind an Obama rule that was done in the in the lame duck session, you know, after the election between the inauguration, uh, last minute thing. And this Obama rule, uh, bureaucratic rule, would prevent states from defunding Planned Parenthood. It says states can't redirect uh, Title X family planning money uh, away from abortion clinics or other clinics that are unobjectionable that don't provide abortions. Now this was a, uh, you know, it was almost a vote on party lines. It was bipartisan, however. Uh, two Republicans voted against it. Two Democrats uh, voted for it. The final vote was uh, 230 to 188, so a nice margin. And this will now go to the Senate for consideration. Uh, now, uh, this is just one of several things the House is doing regarding defunding Planned Parenthood. Obviously, if we can defund Planned Parenthood at the federal level, that would include Title X, uh, anything else. And so that would kind of make this moot, although we still don't want this obscure regulation on the books if someday down you know sometime down the road a president or congress wants to try to refund planned parenthood and now um you know one thing that the uh trump administration could do is uh i believe change this rule themselves uh but uh, one thing that the house and the senate can do is rescind certain uh regulations this way uh using a congressional review and so hopefully the Senate will consider it. I'm sure it's probably not likely. Uh, Democrats in the Senate at this point seem likely to filibuster pretty much anything that uh, the other side wants to do. You look at how the nomination process in the cabinet is working, um, and they're holding late-night protests, uh, which is sort of unprecedented in their scope. But we'll see. Uh, so now, uh, if you contacted, we just sent out an alert this week because we just found out about it uh, to lobby your member of the House. If you did that, thank you. Now's the time. Call Senator Stabenow. Call Gary Peters. Let them know that states should have the right to allocate that Title X money however they want. Um, federal government shouldn't tell states that they have to fund abortion clinics. Alright, now I want to encourage you to go to our YouTube page. Uh, you can find that right off of our website, www.rtl.org. There's a button to go to our YouTube channel, which is simply Right to Life of Michigan. And check out our videos, uh, or animations rather, on Black History Month. Throughout this month, and we've been sharing it on social media, we have uh, made an animation every week highlighting the uh, disparate impact that abortion has on black Americans. When you think about Black History Month and the contributions uh, to history that black Americans have made, uh, you have to really also remember that abortion has ended a lot of that history, a ton of that history. A couple of the numbers that we highlight in these animations are simply staggering. Uh, every single day in America, there are 900 uh, 
black abortions. Black women have 900 abortions on average every day in America. That is a lot. If you look at the numbers, uh, you sort of go back all the way since 1973, uh, based on our best estimate using numbers from the Guttmacher Institute and Centers for Disease Control, uh, there have been more than 19 million uh, black abortions since 1973, out of 57 million total. And really the staggering statistic... When we originally did, uh, we were updating our Life of a People PowerPoint presentation um, that we used to highlight these numbers. Uh, I was looking back at trying to come up with that 19 million number, and just looking through the numbers, I was kind of astounded. Um, you look at every cause of death combined uh, in America, every black life you know, ended by any cause in America, uh, violent crime, car accidents, HIV, heart disease, cancer. They don't total the number of black abortions in a year. And I first started looking into this. I was like, well, that can't be. That seems ridiculous. And, I, and I'm and i very much aware of how high these uh, black abortion figures have been. And I started looking back a couple years, and at some point I just, I just surrendered. Um because it was just so plainly obvious that these numbers d didn't even barely compare. Um, it was kind of shocking. Uh, the numbers have been getting better as black abortions have slowly been declining the last few years. Um, but in order to make that claim, I didn't even need to look any further. Uh, it was just plainly obvious. And why no one has really seized on this or talked about it um, is beyond me. These are pr publicly available numbers you can quickly get doing a Google search. Now, for our animation, we didn't just stop researching. We actually looked back over, I think, since uh, 2000 to 2011, um, and we actually added the numbers up. And you look at, uh, if you combined abortion with all these other causes of death, um, basically you get that 60% of uh, deaths of black Americans are due to abortion, and 40% are all those other causes. Um, and, you know, this is true of every race. As far as I've looked, uh, whites, Hispanics, abortion is the number one cause of death in America, by far. Almost more than cancer and heart disease combined. And so, you think that's a shocking statistic, and then you look at the fact that um, abortion takes more black lives than every other cause of death combined. That is an extremely serious problem, you know. And so our point uh, with these animations is, you know, why isn't this being addressed? Why is no one talking about this? Why is anyone not doing anything about this? Obviously, uh, abortion clinics are aware of this because they see these clients going in. They never talk about this. It's a recurring theme in this podcast. The abortion industry doesn't want people to understand it. Um, if I worked in an industry selling widgets and I were the public relations person, I'd want you to understand everything there is to know about widgets, how great widgets are, how we manufacture the widgets, come take a tour of our widget factory. Um, widgets are amazing. Widgets are going to save your life. Um, but if you work for the abortion industry, we don't want you coming to our abortion clinic. We don't want you to know what's going on. We don't want you to know statistics. We don't want you to know how many abortions uh, we've provided unless we really, really have to, like Planned Parenthood does in their annual report. Which, by the way, they haven't released uh, the most recent one. With all the scrutiny, they know that's an unpopular number to share with people. 
And so I would encourage you to go to our YouTube page again. You can find it on our website, www.rtl.org. Look at these animations. They're really well done. Our, uh, our graphic designer in our office, Beatrice, did a wonderful job with them. Uh, share them. Uh, this is really important. This needs to be a topic of discussion. This needs to stop being completely ignored. All right. Uh, that's a heavy subject, but let's uh, switch gears and talk about Neil Gorsuch and his nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, first, let me talk about the process really briefly. When a nomination is announced, uh, the president will announce and submit to the Senate, I am nominating this person for the Supreme Court. What will then happen is the Senate will begin a massive research effort into this individual, his uh, past judicial history, his personal history, his professional history. Is there anything really uh, bad that we need to know about? Um, and this process will take several weeks. Eventually, once all the research has been compiled, there are hearings. And actually, we already have a announced, or I should say a scheduled date, for Gorsuch's hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and that's March 20. So once these hearings begin, these uh, senators who have taken all the time, so who sit on the committee, who have done all this research, uh, will then have a couple days of questions uh, for Gorsuch. And it will be very detailed. And uh, if you remember past judicial appointments, for example, Clarence Thomas, uh, Robert Bork, this is where a nominee can be uh, sunk very easily if there's anything controversial in there. Or uh, even if there's controversial stuff that comes up like accusations of uh, sexual harassment against Clarence Thomas uh, weren't really proven. We won't get into that right now. Um, that can obviously make a huge difference. Uh, and so if a nominee may have the votes going in, does poorly in the hearings, they can be sunk. Uh, that's what happened to Robert Bork quite unfairly, and that's sort of what really touched off our uh, the controversial nature of judicial appointments, uh, how the Senate Democrats, especially the late Teddy Kennedy, treated uh, Robert Bork was so poor that uh, being Borked is now a term in political lexicon for meaning getting your nomination sunk by a vitriolic campaign of anger. Now, uh, Neil Gorsuch is not likely to experience that based on what we know from his record. Uh, ideally, his hearing will take a couple days. It'll go really well. Then his nomination will go to the full Senate for a final vote for approval, as the Constitution requires the Senate's advice and consent on these nominations. Now, um, he could be filibustered there, but so far, nine Democrats have indicated in public comments that they will not filibuster Judge Gorsuch. Now, that's what they're saying now. They can always change. Um, some more might also announce that, or they might have an inter-party fight and decide they need to filibuster him uh, to help their electoral chances. We don't quite know, but as it is right now, Gorsuch appears to be safe from a filibuster. So as long as his hearing goes well, he should be nominated and replace Antonin Scalia on the court. Now that doesn't mean that you as a pro-lifer can just sit around and do nothing. Um, 
earlier, we really encouraged people, again, to call their senators, let them know they deserve a fair hearing. We're going to be doing more of that, especially as we get closer to the hearing, uh, but just stay tuned. Uh, we want to make sure that he does get a fair hearing and up or down vote. Now, who is Neil Gorsuch? Um, he has a very, very good record. Uh, as we said, he's very well qualified. He currently serves as a circuit court judge for the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, that's in the western part of the United States. Uh, Gorsuch actually lives in uh, Boulder, Colorado with his uh, wife. They have two daughters. Uh, Colorado is part of that circuit. Um, he is 49 years old, uh, born on August 29, 1967. That would make him currently the youngest member of the U.S. Supreme Court, which is always good if you want a judge who's going to have a long impact. He has excellent, uh, excellent educational credentials. Got his bachelor's degree from Columbia University. He has a Juris Doctorate from Harvard Law School, and then he also has a Doctor of Doctorate of Philosophy. Uh, well, excuse me. Well, yeah, PhD in Law, and that is from the University College at Oxford University. Now it's kind of interesting that his course of study at Oxford was the ethics of euthanasia. And he actually wrote a book on that, uh, The Future of Assisted Suicide and Euthanasia. And in the book, Gorsuch argued against legalizing euthanasia. He had a very encouraging passage that's been widely quoted. It reads, quote, All human beings are intrinsically valuable, and the intentional taking of human life by private persons is always wrong. Unquote. So for pro-lifers, that should be very encouraging. Now, as we talked about two weeks ago, we don't need a judge to be a pro-life uh, you know, activist rock star. All we need is a judge who's simply going to read the law fairly. And what we can tell from Gorsuch's record is that he's going to do exactly that. Uh, he spoke very kindly of Antonin Scalia and his judicial philosophy of um, originalism. A law means what it means when it was passed. Uh, if there's to be a change to the law, it needs to be done through the democratic process, not a judge deciding that he has a new, better meaning for this law, based on whatever his personal views are. Now, a couple cases where Gorsuch has uh, come into contact with abortion. Uh, he ruled in favor of Hobby Lobby and the Little Sisters of the Poor. Uh, those were two separate cases involving Obamacare's HHS contraceptive mandate. And if you remember, a couple of those forms of contraception actually could cause an abortion, particularly um, morning-after pill, um, anything dealing with emergency contraception. And Hobby Lobby objected. Uh, they won their case at the Supreme Court as a closely held corporation under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Little Sisters of the Poor are still fighting in court. Uh, there's, this case is a little bit different because they're a nonprofit, not a closely held corporation. But they ought to win, especially given a Trump administration now who isn't going to go after nuns because they won't purchase the morning after pill. Um, he also dissented, uh, Gorsuch dissented against attempts by other judges to block Utah from defunding Planned Parenthood. Of course, judges who like Planned Parenthood won't let states uh, do that, so they're going to substitute their personal opinion. Gorsuch dissented and said, hey, no, you can't do that. Um, that's not how the law works. And so that's very encouraging. He's not ever ruled on a case involving a uh, specific law on abortion, but uh, from what we can see, what he said, his judicial philosophy, um, 
his personal writings, his speeches, uh, his decisions in other cases, he firmly believes that the law is uh, what the law is. Uh, a good example of that, which doesn't really deal with abortion, is uh, the Supreme Court case uh, just known as Chevron. Uh, in, in this case, a, uh, the ruling from the Supreme Court previously was that when an administrative uh, bureaucrat makes a ruling, that the, if, the, if the ruling is uh, generally reasonable, then it should be given deference by the courts. Well, Gorsuch has disagreed. Actually, that's one time where he differed uh, from Scalia. Scalia said that, well, if the regulation seems reasonable, then it should just simply uh, be go through. Courts should give deference. Here's Justice Gorsuch in his own words in a ruling regarding Chevron. Uh, quote, there's an elephant in the room with us today. We have studiously attempted to work our way around it and even left it unremarked. But the fact is Chevron and Brand X permit executive bureaucracies to swallow huge amounts of core judicial and legislative power and concentrate federal power in a way that seems more than a little difficult to square with the constitution of the framers' design. Maybe the time has come to face the behemoth. Unquote. So in other words, and as you can see there, he, he doesn't write in extensive legalese. He writes uh, very cleanly. Uh, you can read through it very easily, which a lot of people appreciate. Um, you know, Chevron, uh, you know, executive bureaucracies, for example, in the HHS mandate, don't shouldn't just be able to swallow powers that belong to the legislature and the judiciary. And so that's very, very encouraging for us, just in general, in terms of how he views uh, the branches, checks and balances, and, and whatnot. In his spare time, uh, Gorsuch is actually a professor at the University of Colorado. He teaches antitrust law and legal ethics, and he's done that since 2008. Uh, he's clerked for Supreme Court Justices Anthony Kennedy and Byron White. Uh, Byron White, again, one of the two justices who dissented against Roe v. Wade. Uh, also, he has a relationship with Anthony Kennedy, which may be helpful because Kennedy is that swing vote on cases involving pro-life issues. And so I, and I just want to leave you with one more quote from uh, Gorsuch, just, again, kind of summing up why pro-lifers should be very encouraged about this nomination. Um, when he was praising Scalia and the rule of law, he said, quote, Perhaps the great project of Justice Scalia's career was to remind us of the differences between judges and legislators, to remind us that legislators may appeal to their own moral conviction, convictions and to claims about social utility to reshape the laws they think it should be in the future. But the judges should do none of these things in a democratic society. Unquote. So, again, it seems very clear. He understands the role of a judge is to judge, not be a super unelected legislator. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of LifeBeat. Join us again in two weeks. Uh, we'll keep you updated on all the news of the day. President Trump said that uh, Obamacare, defunding Planned Parenthood, would be on the schedule for March. So hopefully we'll begin to see some action on that. Again, always stay tuned to us. We'll keep you updated with everything going on. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week.